filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster show we were talking about weird twitter and i think we can all agree that jason is drill that, that that's not a question yeah, yeah i mean he's actually drill right like I mean, he's the guy that's uh, yeah, he's coming out drill is being revealed to all right now as jason I, I wish, but you shouldn't dox drill uh by the way uh <laughs> that <laughs> happened and it was a bad thing don't do that and then we came to a semi agreement that I am at least I have some characteristics of admin from DeShare zone in that I am random, sometimes doofy and have no purpose. So I'll take that. I, I, I'll take it. But our, our main problem is we don't know who Adam is in weird Twitter. So we need your help. Our listeners. No, we don't. Who is Adam we don't. in weird Twitter? <laughs> because, because I know exactly who I am now. Like who having t- had time to, ah, <laughs> What are you infinite screaming? I am infinite screaming. <laughs> I am endless I like screaming. It. I like it. I that like is, it. That is who I am. Does that work? Does that fit? Yes. Yeah, I accept that. <laughs> I think I think we can all walk away from this uh in agreement. All right, I'm glad. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and Weird Twitter podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, aka Infinite Scream. Uh, I also may be a dead parrot joined as always by, by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. Uh, we're all from black and red united.com where we cover soccer tonight. We're talking about the U S open cup DC United advanced past Philadelphia in the fourth round of the U S open cup. They'll, they'll face the pigeons of NYCFC in the round of 16. We'll talk about uh, that journey a little bit. And then the second segment, we will talk about the women's world cup. Because it's awesome and you should be watching because um, good things are happening. So we'll do all that before we do anything, though. Of course, we, we have our traditions. We must abide by them. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I went and got myself. I mean, it was it was hot and muggy today. And in this region of the world, that means it's time for gin. Uh, and so I made myself a gin Ricky uh, with uh, Tanqueray and uh, limes from Limes. I too am drinking a Genriki because it nice. is hot and humid. Uh, it's green hat with okay. uh, just basic club soda, no even, flavor, even no sugar. more DC than uh, yeah. than me. The the first distilled spirit commercially produced in the district after Prohibition, Green Hat Gin. Um, it's good. It is my kind of American, very kind of uh, herbal f- forward gin. Not not a dry gin the way Tanqueray is. It's like it's not sweet, it is dry, but it's got a lot more than just juniper happening, which I like. I, I'm for it. Ben, what are you drinking? I'm also drinking a summery cocktail, but it is not gin based. Uh, I am drinking a bee's knees cocktail, which is bourbon, honey, and lime juice all muddled up together, and it is quite delicious. 
Excellent. I think we can all agree that it's it's likely that that Martin Schatzer, the the founder of Black and Red United, former member of this podcast, he's very probably drinking gin at this very moment. I think we're all in agreement on that. We should all tweet at him, demanding we that should. he be drinking gin. Can someone handle that from the the podcast Twitter account? I want to see if we can get a response from him before we're done I recording. Think, I think I can manage this extremely <laughs> dumb idea. <laughs> this inside joke that matters to nobody outside of the three of us and probably only just me. Let's talk soccer on Wednesday night, two shorthanded teams walked into Audi field Wednesday night. I guess they, they both walked out. This wasn't a death match, but one of them did in fact win and the other one lost uh, DC United beat the Philadelphia union two to one after extra time to move on in the U S open cup. All the goals came in the last 15 minute segment of extra time, there was no scoring through regulation, no scoring in the first half of extra time, all three goals in those final 15 minutes. Having said that though, let's, let's start at the top and build up to, to that climax. Uh, I mentioned, yeah, Ben 13 year old (laughs) over there. I can't help myself. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I mentioned both teams were shorthanded. Uh, I think for DC United, that's best uh, evidenced by their central midfield situation in this game. The starters were Leonardo Hara, who is, as anyone who's been paying attention this year knows, not a central midfielder. He has played he almost all of his time. A midfielder. No. Um, but not in the Paul Areola way. He's a right back, not not an attacker and Antonio Bustamante, the homegrown getting his first team debut in a starting role here. And he is at least a midfielder. Yeah, but he's not really a defensive no. midfielder. Right. Um, but well, but has, both guys, he has been playing there for Loudon. I think okay. that might be his, his future. Um, gotcha. But yeah, his previous, most of his previous games as a, youth player, college player up until very recently were further forward. So he's a Rob Vincent. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, Vincent was funny because he came up as a, you know, a central midfielder got to USL and just had this knack for finding the spaces coming off of the wing and scoring lots and lots of goals and then got to MLS. And he's like, really, I'm more comfortable in central midfield. And so that's what Ben Olsen did. It was an interesting journey for him. Um, anyway, by the end of the game, we had a, a central midfield pairing of Wayne Rooney and TT Rodriguez. Again, neither of whom is really a midfielder, although Rooney's played that position some. Um, but with Paul Ariel at the Gold Cup, Junior Moreno at Copa America, Durkin suspended for a red card from last year's uh, Open Cup exit, Canaus held out because of injury there were really no other midfielders to put into the spot. So uh, a little bit of a pickup game flavor of in this lineup, which, you know, obviously ended up working. They held the clean sheet uh, through more than 105 minutes and then ended up getting the win in a very weird game. (laughs) Um, What did anything else jump out to you guys about the lineup in this one? Uh, I mean, I think it was about the strongest lineup that they could put on the field, give or take Um, the knock to Chris Odoyachim in the warmup, notwithstanding. Um, I mean, it was a weird situation where both teams, you know, 
Philly had four guys they'd called up from Bethlehem Steel. Um, DC had one. They had Noah Pilato called up from Loudoun. That was a thing that was not announced at any point. It was just something that we all found out in the press box when looking at the team sheet and being like, Noah Pilato is on the roster, but he's not on DC's roster. I guess they must have given him a short-term deal. Um, so yeah, it was it was one of those kind of nights um, where things get strange. Things are strange from the start. Um, the whole game, there was a, a lot of like the intensity was there, but the game also it felt like both teams were very rusty. It was almost like um, a playoff level intensity plus a preseason level of rust uh, thrown into one game. It was a weird one. Uh, there were phases, you know, DC had a lot of possession early and then all of a sudden Philly ended up having more of the possession. The whole game was odd. Yeah, it was, it was also weird. The spells when either team had more of the possession seemed to be to me anyway, to my eyes incongruous, which with, with who I thought was controlling play at that moment. Um, so early on DC had the possession, they were creating no danger. Philly was creating danger later that those roles kind of flipped and DC United created a lot more danger in the second half. Um, and it felt like they were in control of the ball for long stretches, but Philly had the ball just not in, uh, not on the front foot, not in attacking areas. They just were holding on to it to try to settle the ship a little bit. And I just saw a reply from Martin who still doesn't like gin. Um, he he did say he would let us know. He did. He promised Um, we would be the first to know if he ever changes his mind. So I assume we have to have a special podcast in the event that he contacts us on this front. Yeah. I, I'd be willing to have a podcast just to try to change his mind. I don't know. Maybe our pat- Patreon patrons would be be into that because there are a lot that likes punishment. I don't know. <laughs> Martin doesn't anyway, like gin. Change his mind. There you go. He's just sitting at a park, not drinking gin like you do. <laughs> so as the game went on, it, to my eye, DC United came into the game more and more and more and had more and more shooting opportunities and, and good goal scoring opportunities. And especially in extra time, it was, well, Mora didn't really create any, but let's, let's talk about Joseph Mora before we get into uh, the goals. He came back and he played, I think he played 90 minutes in this one, which was great uh, to see into uh, extra time. Yeah. He played 90 plus minutes Mm -hmm. in this one. He didn't go the distance in extra time, um, which ended up being fine because his replacement scored the equalizer. but great to see Joseph Mora returning from injury and being fit enough to play that long spell. He wasn't his, his, I think he wasn't in top form, but you're usually not going to be your first game back from injury. Um, right. These are great examples of how to use the U S open cup for injured players, because it's all about getting him back in there. Uh, hopefully he'll get another 90, uh, in the game against New York city. And all of that is just prepping him for, uh, what we know he can do in MLS. And it took him a little while last year to get into the flow of things. And hopefully we can just accelerate, accelerate that this year because we know that we've been missing him so far this season. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there were moments. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say there were moments going forward where I thought he looked pretty good. I think he ended the game with, um, two successful dribbles, two key passes. So he, he was getting uh, involved. He was getting himself forward to good effect. I think 
defensively, there were some moments where the timing was, was off a little bit. Um, and, and maybe that's the, the thing that will return next, but, um, he seemed after the game, really, really happy to get back out there. Um, I think this took longer than he expected it to, um, because, you know, how often in your career have you, you know, how many players have gone through a broken draw and have had to deal with that comeback? It's a weird thing to have to come back from. It's not, uh, oh, I, you know, I have an MCL sprain or an ankle thing or plantar fasciitis. Um, it's a weird injury that you probably don't have to deal with very often. So um, I think that part was a struggle. He didn't seem, um, he didn't seem to want to relive much of his path to recovery. Uh, he just wanted, he's like, I, it was not pleasant and I'd like to focus on the fact that I'm back on the field now. So um, I think he's, he maybe was more delighted than anyone that the game was not just that he got back, but that they won so that he didn't have that uh, mixed bag of good news for him, bad news for the team. But yeah, going forward uh, a fit and fully, fully informed Joseph Mora, I think, um, we've been talking about it for a while. He really changes this team. Um, and they, they will be much better with him out there. Um, then the, the other options have, you know, Odo Atchum's done a pretty good job filling in. Um, but he's still third. hurt. Right. Uh, he's, he's still hurt. Um, he had know, the classic kind of just got back from injury, muscle injury. Right. Yeah. And, and Olson said after the game with him that, um, you know, you try and take it easy on guys that have been out for as long as he was out. But at a certain point, um, you have to sort of let it go and, and let it happen and let, you know, whatever is going to happen to somebody is going to happen. And sometimes this is a thing that that occurs is that um, your body is just not used to the constant, you know, warming up the constant training all that because you've had so long where you didn't do that. Um and this is the kind of thing that can happen. They they didn't seem too worried about it. So that's it wasn't like a yeah, it's a full on um a full full on strain that's gonna take a month or whatever. It was like, well, it's a little thing that it caught a little, so um we didn't want to take a risk. It was more in that category. So I mentioned DC United came into the game more and more, and they were, I would say, by the middle of the the second overtime period they were pretty well controlling things which made it all the more deflating when philadelphia broke through um fontana i think is the the player's name who scored for them um a substitute came on looked like just your classic work hard run hard kind of player and he ends up getting behind the defense off of a broken defensive play and little chip puts him in there one-on-one and he finished he finished very smoothly and very calmly um but it was just it just kind of felt like, of course, when they are in total control, they they blink and and Philly scores. Yeah, and I, I felt like this was the end. I uh, this has been so typical of DC United in the U.S. Open Cup over the past couple of years, especially against Philadelphia. It it is a game that is kind of back and forth for the entire game. And then DC United gives up a goal late and then, and then that's the end of it. And it was playing into all of the various stereotypes that DC United has played into over, since 2013. Um, and so once that goal went in, I, I was just like, I mean, obviously I, I definitely watched the whole rest of the game cause I saw the, the redemption, but at that point in the game, I was like, this is over. They, they're they not going to come back from this because that's been 
the way that DC United has operated over the past couple of years. And I was so happy to be proved wrong and so happy that, uh, that this team still had it in them to, to score two goals and to still attack in the last half of, uh, 15 minutes of extra time. Yeah. I think that point is, is probably the biggest takeaway from, from this game as deflating as it was, the team didn't hang their heads for a second. They were, were on Philadelphia from the kickoff after that goal and they were not giving up. They they didn't even want to get to penalties. They wanted to win it before penalties and and to their credit they did. And that's that's a good sign. That is a mentally tough team that wasn't just they they weren't disappointed or deflated or accepting of Philadelphia's goal. They said, "Nope, we're not going to have that." and and went and fixed it, which was which was great. Um, it took a set piece for them to to equalize Wayne Rooney with a fantastic dipping corner kick that that evaded Philly's keeper and found Chris McCann for his first goal in more than a year um, to to equalize. And then Luciano Acosta just it, this bizarrely cinematic sequence where he lines up four different Philly players in an arc around him and just dribbles into it and. Ali Bedoya, you could say bails him out, but Lucho seemed to be in as much control of of the ball as you can be dribbling at four guys. He gets into the box and and looks like he's going to beat Mark McKenzie and and gets tripped from behind by Bedoya and wins the penalty. Very clear penalty. He'd been, uh, or Ulysses Segura had been denied what was also a clear penalty, but there's no VAR uh, in the second half of regulation that might have prevented the game going to extras at all. But the ref gets this one right. Wayne Rooney just blasts it through the back of the net to uh, to put United up, and then Philly, I don't think, threatened again from there. So it was it was nice to see the happy ending and see the team's effort rewarded, especially the way they responded to that goal. Yeah, it was an important. I think it's going to be important going forward um, for the group mentality to. to have dug deep and actually done something uh, in a game that otherwise they could have just been like, ah, well, it's not our day. Um, You know, they were leaving out some stuff, you know, they'd hit the post in the first half. Um, They hit the post. uh, All right. Was it um, the one that, the one that rebounded? Yeah. And then there was also the, the Briant header. Um, So it was, yeah. yeah, you know, that one came what, like, an hour or so into the game. So mm-hmm. um, they had their looks um, oddly enough though. Oh yeah. The, the Briant one also came with Segura missing an empty net. Um, well, he was ruled offside anyway. Oh, he, I, I, okay. Well, but yeah, still, he, he, like to put that he one missed away. the empty net on the rebound. Yes. Um, but yeah, um, they, you know, when the game wasn't that, when they weren't playing that well, cause I think that chance that Briant uh, chance kind of sparked something. Uh, and DC for that last hour of the game were the better team. It just took them that long to get going. And maybe that's my one concern is that it, you know, we've, we've said it more than once this year, maybe more than five times this year that um, DC wasn't that great to start a game. It took them a while to, to find their way in it. Um, I would really like to see uh, on Wednesday for this to be DC is going at, at a high speed and, you know, everyone's working together and playing well, from kickoff and not at halftime. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think as far as the comeback goes, um, 
it was a pretty reasonable Ben's reaction. I think was completely reasonable. Um, uh, we've seen this, we've seen this one before. Um, and for them to dig deep for, you know, McCann, you could argue held uh, Fontana on side on, on their goal. So for him to sort of redeem himself a little bit with a, a pretty good header, um, granted their, um, the union's goalkeeper, uh, Matt Fries, uh, didn't do well on that one at all. Um, but that's not McCann's fault. You know, that's McCann's job is to, uh, find a way to get the ball in the back of it at that point. Um, so that was a, a big play, I think for the group and, um, to then go on and win it. I think the game maybe takes on a little bit more, like if they had gone to penalties and advanced that way, it would be like, all right, well, you know, we did this last year, um, dramatic ending, but not necessarily, it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel like a win. It feels like, well, we got through it. Um, but to actually find the winner, uh, create the winner, find the winner, um, that I think makes it maybe a little bit more. It means a little something more, um, keeps people engaged after the long layoff. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that it could bode well for the future. There are signs that it does. It's just a matter of, you know, carrying it forward. And, uh, fortunately the wait from this game to the next is no longer two weeks. It's only the one week. Uh, I want to turn into the weird a little more because this was the the game got even weirder. If anyone watching on ESPN plus um, was treated to Bobby Warshaw on color commentary. And I think it was a bunch of mostly MLS soccer.com guys doing color commentary across the board. Charlie Davies did some, and he's been working with the, with that website. It was actually, there are a lot of, um, a lot of the folks that cover USL games on a regular basis. Okay. Um, we're doing open cup commentary. It's, it's a, it's the same, uh, group that also does NWSL streams. Um, and so some of those voices were popping up in there as well because they had to get basically all hands on deck. Um, right. Yeah. It was kind of a weird night as, uh, across the board. Uh, but that's yeah. the open cups always going to be weird. That's what's cool about it. <laughs> Warshaw is a, a huge Philly fan, I think, in his off hours. Uh, he's from central Pennsylvania, and you could tell he was excited about the a lot of the things the union were doing. He just really enjoys them. So it felt a little bit like a, a union home broadcast, even though it wasn't. Um, and in one really weird moment, the the sequence where the the equalizer where McCann scores the equalizer. It's a corner kick, so they're they're panning the crowd, and the crowd was a little bit subdued. And it actually sh- shows them jump up and start celebrating, and then it cuts back to the field, and you see the cross come in, and McCann score. It was a little... Everything was out of time a little bit. Well, which, that's the, that's the, that's the World cup. Link experience. Um, yeah. uh, anyone, you know, like I said, the NWSL streaming has prepared me for this uh, sort of thing. It's just <laughs> like, oh, yeah, this is just... Uh, walk in the park. Um, but yeah, not uh, linear. Of course, it's not. Yeah, well, you know, things are. It's close enough to linear. I can accept it. It's not too mind bending. <laughs> um, it's just a little mind bending. It's just a little. You'll be all right. Um, There's only I, minor I do, spoilers. I want to point out something that I took personal uh, enjoyment in. Um, I think you guys probably will agree with me on this. Uh, no one from our site really is really fond of Alejandro Bedoya. Um, He's a good soccer player. Uh, I think that's the nicest thing I can think of to say about him. Um, <laughs> but it was Bedoya getting beaten by McCann on the goal, and it was Bedoya committing the penalty kick um, yep. uh, foul. So that 
to me is pretty cool that that happened because uh, I like it. <laughs> you know, if the games are going to be weird, if you're going to uh, deal with all this stuff, you might as well get something out of it that has that extra little um, that little bonus. Um, it's not just beating the union; it's beating them via Bedoya uh, making two plays where he was involved on giving up a goal. That's nice. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I will also say that I was telling um, Stephen Streff in the press box in like the 20th minute of the game. Um, I was like, all right, this game's definitely got some sort of um, scuffle or argument or so, some sort of heated moment uh, between the teams. He's like, yeah, that that seems right. And I was like, all right, um, I'm going to put I want to go on record already. Um, I want to say that the people who are the initiators of this are going to be Aurelian and Colin and Ulysses Segura, and it's going to be Colin trying to get away with something, and Segura is going to get in his face, and it's going to get up from there. And, and that that did not pan out, uh, but we did get our little um, scuffle in the corner at one point uh, during extra time. It just wasn't exactly what I thought would happen, uh, so I was a little upset that Co- Colin, other than maybe taking a tumble over nothing a couple times, uh, was more or less well-behaved. Yeah, we did get to see a fun Aurelian Colin moment where he was trying to catch, I think it was Lucho, um, who was dribbling past him. And like he was flailing, trying to pull him back and just couldn't reach him to grab his shirt and pull him down. Like yeah. Colin really, really wanted that yellow card and he just like couldn't doing do his best to commit a foul. Yeah. And he just um, couldn't reach him even to foul him. And it was this fantastic moment. Um I, I think another name I want to shout out is Griffin Yao, who came into this mm-hmm. as a sub early in extra time, and the kid balled out. He was unlucky, I would say, not to score a goal. He was maybe he should start on Wednesday. I I would not object. He he started for Loudoun County uh, at Audi Field this this weekend, but came out I think before the hour mark. So he might be fresh enough to start on Wednesday. We'll see. He, he's what, sixteen, seventeen? He'll be fine. <laughs> he's got energy for he, days. He actually ended up being second on uh DC United uh for shot attempts in this game, uh out of everybody that played. And the only player on either team that took more shots than Griffin Yao, who only played forty seven minutes, was Wayne Rooney. Um so he was in the thick of it. There was no, um, when he was tracking I, back, he was doing all the well, things. And, and, and that's part of my, my issue is like, I feel like in that game, you start Ulysses Segura in the central midfield and you start Griffin Yao on the, on the wing. And no, then you have a, I think we learned last year that you, you don't want Segura playing in central midfield if you can avoid it. Yeah, but you can't avoid it in this situation. I disagree. Yeah, I I mean, with Chris Durkin coming back, you don't have to make that, that choice. You can put Segura on the yeah, bench and start Yao, which I yeah, would not object to at all. Um, and I was actually thinking myself that um, for me in this coming game, it should be pretty much the first the 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 on paper first team available right now. But the the two things I'd like to see are Griffin Yao starting over Segura. Um, I want to see if he can do this from the start because he he just he's always um, he's got a knack for getting himself involved and there's no fear. There's no like, uh, I need, I'm the youngest guy on the field. I need to take it easy and, and prove myself. It's just like, no, they put me on the field. I'm supposed to go win the game. So I'm going to go do that. Um, which is a great attitude. Uh, that's, yep. that's a big, uh, maybe the biggest strength he has as a player right now is that, um, he plays the game with like a, an intensity and a desperation that maybe the team could use from, cause they keep having these slow starts. Um, but uh, the other look 
uh, that I'd like, and I don't know if it's possible because I don't know how long he's been back in training, but if Donovan Pines has like 45 minutes in his legs, oh, for sure. um, I would say give him a start with a plan of let's remove you at halftime just to build himself back up because he's been out for a while. But um, that's a question of how much he actually can go. Cause if it's more like he has 30 minutes in his legs, then you can't really do it. Right. Um, but if he's fit enough to get to halftime, I would say start him um, and be up front with everyone involved. Tell Briant or Robinson or Burnbaum, whoever it is that's going to lose their um, the, the spot they might have expected. So like, look, you're going to get into the game. Um, we need Donovan needs these minutes to build himself back up so that he's fully competing um, for time again. So we're going to plan this out. Um, and that's the reason you do that from the start of the game rather than from the second half in a cup match is if you put someone in at halftime expecting them to only play 45 and then you go to extra time, you're screwed. Um, you're right. risking just an exhaustion, uh, you know, player being exhausted, making a mistake. You're risking or, re-injury, all that stuff. Or, yeah, or burning a sub when you didn't have to. Right. Uh, burning he, an, extra, an extra sub. Yeah, yeah, you know, you get your extra time uh, bonus sub now, but you'd rather, um, especially because it's going to be in the 80s, it's going to be muggy. Um, you'd yeah. rather have that for, uh, you know, not to have to use a second sub on somebody. Um, especially in a center back. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I think the main thing is get Yao in there and see what happens. I mean, it's a cup match. Um, you want to be on the front foot. NYCFC is probably going to be better, um, have a better game plan for Segura than for Yao. They haven't seen him as much. Um, I think there's a few good reasons to get him in from the start. And, you know, maybe, or, you know, maybe it's not Segura. Maybe it's Rodriguez. Whoever, um, that gives you a, a player to bring in off the bench that's more of an impact player. Um than we normally have. We're not used to guys that have played that many minutes coming into games off the bench. So um, one way or another, I think you've got to get him in because he, he's earning it. It's not just a, well, let's see what the kid can do. It's a, you know, right. he keeps doing things in games. He keeps making an impact on games. So um, get him in there. Yeah. He's already in, in brief minutes this year. He's unfortunately for Zoltan Stieber showing better than Zoltan Stieber has this year. Yeah, and the you know the international um, spot question right, certainly exactly. um, is going to make it that much harder for for right, to get what, in. You, you only get five in the U.S. Open Cup, I think. Yeah, you get you have a five international limit, which um, that's per strange. game, not for the whole tournament, right? Right, right, right. It, it's just the the lineup you submit to the referee, the eighteen players you submit. There can only be five internationals. Um, weirdly enough, I thought NYCFC was going to have huge problems with this. Um, the team that they sent up or that they sent up that they put on the field to play North Carolina FC only had four. They have several guys that I just did not realize had gotten green cards yet. Like Anton Tinderholm, for example, is not an international. Oh, wow. um, so they don't have the same problem as the union. I thought they would have the same issue that their issue is that they are missing a bunch of other guys through injury and the gold cup and other things. Um, Trading them they, to Colorado. Yeah, so they are going to show up with 15 field players and two goalkeepers um, because that's all they got. Um, and it's not international spots. It's just those are the only guys that are available to them right now. Yep. Well, that game will be Wednesday night at Audi Field. If you can't get down to, to Buzzard Point to, to see it in person in the wonderful stormy weather, um, you know, maybe there'll be an extended Heineken happy hour over there. Who knows? Um, 
If you can't make it down there, though, it'll be on ESPN+. Plus. Do not try to find the game on Flow FC. It won't be there. Uh, there's no geofence for this. The game is nationally, including here in D.C., the DMV, on ESPN+. Plus. So, so, so there's just an sure ESPN+, plus geofence. Gotta have ESPN+. Plus. Yeah, you do, that's not a geofence, though. That's a that's a paywall. That's you a do have fence. to subscribe. I'm you do have to subscribe. Yeah, there you uh, go. To ESPN Plus, get past the money fence, go through the money gate, pay the um, bouncer. Yeah, <laughs> bribe the bouncer to put your name on the list. Yeah, John, uh, I don't know who the John, bouncer is. It might it's be George. John ESPN. <laughs> I feel like this is getting away from us, so we're going to end this segment now. And uh, when we come back, we will be talking Women's World Cup. Please stick around; it's filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... Oh, you are. In a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. The United States is through to the round of 16 at the Women's World Cup in France. There's still one group game left against Sweden to determine who will win the group and who will merely finish second. Um, so far, the United States have broken records. They they won their first game pretty famously 13 to nothing against Thailand. They beat Chile 3 to nothing. Um and it, it could have been a lot worse. Jill Ellis is actually rotating players in a way that you couldn't see some semblance of logic there. Um, and, and they came out of the gate really strong. And, and all, a lot of that is, a, I, I would say, in, in strong contrast to the last World Cup, which, which they won eventually. They did. But if you remember that, if you go back four years ago and listen to this very podcast, uh, it didn't always seem like they were going to win it. They they came out of the gate very slow. Jill Ellis had no idea what kind of tactics she was going to do. She was trying to shoehorn too many players into roles that didn't make sense for them, especially in central midfield. And then injuries forced her to simplify it. And and Morgan Bryan bailed her the F out. Uh, a, a yellow card suspension bailed her out. Yeah, that, um, it wasn't even injured. She was not right. going to make that change unless she had to. Yeah, uh, but she made the change, and eventually the United States goes on to win the World Cup. They didn't, even then, they didn't really find top gear until that final against Japan. They found top gear here, guys, at least 
they they found a way to get into a cruising gear against a weaker team. Um, I don't I don't know where you guys want to start um, talking about this, but uh, I'll leave it to you, Jason. Uh, Jump in with what what yeah. sounds right. I mean, I think um, in both games there was a a really good start. I mean, they they it took them. 11 minutes to score against Chile. It took them 12 against Thailand, but they also nearly scored it before those goals in both instances within the first five minutes, they were um, very close. So um, that hasn't been a problem. The uh, starting the game in the right mindset, going out and really going after it. um, There's been no slow start. So that's a big plus. Um, I, you know, Thailand, with all due respect, never really had a chance in the game. It's just um, the gulf in resources. The fact that most of these players are actually um, working for the team general manager's uh, insurance company. Um, She, that general manager, you might've seen um, Thailand scored a goal and she was, there was a woman in tears on the sidelines that that wasn't Thailand's coach. That's the team manager. Um, And by that, I mean like, like more like a GM rather than a, um, uh, head coach manager. Right. She's also kind of the, the main financial benefactor. Yeah, of that, that, that team doesn't exist. Yeah. That team doesn't exist without her uh, bankrolling it. Yeah. Um, In the U S we have the luxury of arguing about equal pay, which by the way, needs to happen at the yeah. federation level in Thailand. They don't have a women's program at all, except for, the CEO of this insurance company stepping in and running the program and supporting it financially, giving the players jobs so that they can make ends meet and have time to train at the same time. So yeah, yeah. her it's, reaction it's, to that goal was, was pretty moving. Yeah. And look, their, their situation is amenable more to um, like Christos FC than it is to a national team in a lot of cases. Um they added one, like from the last World Cup, they basically added one player, and it was um, Miranda Nild, their forward, who is uh, American-born, uh, went to California, uh, University of California, and played college soccer there. Um, but yeah, th- it wasn't really a test. I The U.S. went and scored 13 and could have scored more. Um, but, you know, that was the job. Uh, the the complaints uh, about them running up the score to quote, to quote people were ridiculous. Um, the job in a tournament is to score as many goals as you can. And, and having been clobbered in other games myself, uh, I can tell you that it sucks a lot more when the other team stops taking the game of soccer seriously and is just sort of goofing off to kill time. Um, it's much better if they're just, they're still trying to play the game as if it's zero, zero, that that's a level of respect. Whereas, I mean, Go ahead. I, I I wanted to shout out Kim McCauley here, our friend who who wrote a, a great piece on SBNation.com about why the U.S. needed to keep their foot on the gas um, beyond respect and and why they needed to celebrate every goal. And it's because they did have so much trouble finding the top gear in the last World Cup. And because especially in the build up to this one, they had trouble maintaining their top form against lesser opponents they would play well, a lot of the player and a lot of the players who scored those early goals that's their this is their first world cup some of these players these are their first goals so you can't uh criticize them for celebrating their very first goals in the top tier uh athletic event in their entire sport so, i mean this is the pinnacle of their careers for sure yeah but, exactly but also they're not here just to score that goal they're here to to play all the games and win 
all the games. And the way you do that is by staying locked in at a, at a much lower level. Um, I saw this when I was on a, in a softball tournament in law school, like an actual strongly competitive softball tournament in law school. We, we were wiping the floor with people and we get to the knockout stage of the tournament and we let up because we were beating a team, um, by, by like 15 runs in the second inning. And we let up, we started swinging at the first pitch and, and not taking the extra base, not paying as close attention, kind of goofing off and having fun with the other team who were great sports about it too. And then we get to the next game and we, we couldn't find our gear again. We, we were out of it and we got blown out in that game. Um, and at a much higher level, like the, the U S national team, you have to stay locked in at the world cup because eventually you're going to come up against France. You're going to come up against England. You're going to come up with against someone who's more at your level and you need to be ready to go. When that happens, you can't be have any vestiges of goofing off or, or slacking off or, or allowing the other team to breathe when that happens. So I I thought Kim made a, made a great point and that was compelling to me. Yeah. And, you know, going into uh, then you know the, the U.S. was kind of in a weird spot because they knew realistically that both of their first two games were not going to be challenging. Um, they played Chile before they knew what that was going to be like, and it wasn't going to be difficult. Um, and so, to I think to Ellis's credit, she's given um, every single somehow in only two games she's managed to give every single field player at least some minutes. Um, the only players that haven't taken the field yet are Ashlyn Harris and Adriana French, uh, the, the other, the two backup goalkeepers. So that's pretty good. Uh, that's a big pl- uh, plus. Um, this, this second game against Chile was the heavily rotated one. And I, I found myself, I, if you look at it and you're like, Oh, well the U S scored three goals in the first half and then didn't score in the second half. So the changes they made at halftime um, might've made them worse. I would actually argue that the changes at halftime made them much better. Uh, but that was when Chile's goalkeeper, uh, Christiane Endler, went from playing really so well good. to playing like just ridiculous. Um, it was like, I feel so bad for Kristen Press because against anyone else, she would have scored a goal or three. And yeah. especially, uh, like, especially the uh, uh, save that Endler made that was just a full out stretch like that mm-hmm. she just got her fingertips to that was a world class save. I mean yeah, she, I don't know how many goalkeepers make that save in on the men's side or the women's side or or the stretch alien side. Like she got from one goalpost to the other in ridiculously low yeah. time. Yeah, she she's I mean she, it's been well known for for a while for the folks that are paying close attention to women's soccer how good um, and can be, she's playing for Paris Saint-Germain, um, which means she's getting paid better than if she were playing in the NWSL, um, yep. which is probably a good reason for her to not come to the league, um, which is unfortunate because, uh, that's the kind of talent that's out there. Um, even on a team like Chile, who, uh, several of their players are playing in Spain, but the rest of them are playing in the Chilean league, which is semi-pro at best. Um, but uh, Endler is, I mean, the, the U.S. players themselves were like, yeah, we knew coming in that she's as good as any goalkeeper in this entire tournament. Um, and that's that can happen. Um, so I think the U.S., despite that, you know, despite her or maybe even her saves maybe are the evidence that 
Um, they went from being kind of get it into the box, uh, win some second balls, uh, set piece goals. Their, their three goals in this game were two set piece goals and then a uh, second ball where the Chilean defense headed the ball out. And uh, it was actually a battle between Carly Lloyd and Julie Ertz as to who was going to volley at home. Um, those are old school U.S. goals. Those are not the um, stylish goals that they've been trying to produce. They've been trying to become much more of a uh, technical team than they were in the past when it was all about size in the box, uh, competitiveness, that sort of thing. And after halftime, they replaced Lloyd with uh, Jessica McDonald, or not Lloyd. Um, now I can't remember which midfield. They, they pulled a midfielder for Jessica McDonald and moved Lloyd in the midfield. And when you, McDonald's reputation is of being a big target forward. This is also Brandon McDonald's sister, by the way, um, for DC fans. Um, but she's really much more of a um, creative player. And all of a sudden, all their chances kept coming from open play. It was a lot of one and two touch. All of a sudden, Pew and Press were getting more opportunities. Um, ben already mentioned that Press was robbed um, several times. And you know th- that didn't happen in the first half because the first half was sort of everyone's trying to just score the goal themselves. And all of a sudden with McDonald, the game opened up and it became much more fluid. And that's how it's supposed to work. And I think against better teams, that's the way forward. Um, that's how, that's a more likely path to getting goals. Now, McDonald might not play too many more minutes in this tournament because as long as Alex Morgan is healthy, she's she's probably going to start every other game left in this tournament unless she gets a, a suspension or an injury. Um, but at some point, they're going to come to a point where they need to make, they need to send in an extra striker. I guarantee there's going to be a game that's tied or they're trailing and they send in that extra forward to try and push. Um, against Thailand, they actually sort of experimented with a 3-3-4, uh, which is when all those late goals they scored, that was all in a 3-3-4. Um, and that second center forward role, Ellis is going to have a tough choice because Carly Lloyd has her her upside. Um, that straight to the point, battle with people, and go to goal yourself, that has, you know, there are times where that's what you need. Um, but at the same time, if you need to open a team up, that's been very compact, uh, McDonald is probably the better player. And I think she showed it pretty conclusively in this game, but does Ellis make that choice? I don't know. Um, Ben or uh, Adam mentioned her central midfield, uh, issues from the last world cup. And that you might've heard me kind of trying to stifle a laugh because that hasn't gone away. Um, it's just that now the central midfield options are a little better. Um, and we're not playing four four two, so there's another spot. But there are some weird things with Jill Ellis's view on the game that I've never been able to wrap my head around. And I'm now kind of thinking that down the road, um, her view on whether it should be McDonald or Lloyd is going to be different from mine. Uh, and I hope that that doesn't end up costing them something in a knockout round. I mentioned there's one more group stage game left. It's against Sweden. What what are you looking for in that game? Obviously, a win means the U.S. wins the group. Um, but but I think we want to see them come out. And this will be the toughest opponent so far, obviously. But it's still a game that the U.S. should win. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of... Oh, go ahead, Ben. Oh, I was just going to jump in with... Uh, with Jill Ellis playing all of these different players, I, I, I'm not convinced that 
the starting 11 is fully solidified. And so I, I think it'll be a opportunity for her to give what she may think is her a starting 11 going into the knockout rounds, give them a chance going forward. But then if other people are playing well, playing better that they might be able to, to supplant, I think, um, Players on the back line, I, I feel like there is a little bit of give on the back line. I feel like uh, Tierna Davidson, who uh, played a bunch of great balls from free kicks in, could make a case for a starting spot uh, at one of the fullback positions, even though she's a natural uh, center back. I feel like uh, th- there is some give in this lineup uh, where traditionally there hasn't been. So I, th- I think it's going to be a little more a little more technical, a little more just like, let's see what happens than we have typically seen from a, uh, a U.S. women's national team going uh, into the knockout rounds. Um, yeah, for, for me, I, I think the, I think the lineup is probably pretty close to um, pretty close to settled. I think the only question in Ellis's mind is whether or whether Sam Mua should start and if so, where. Um, my personal opinion is that Julie Ertz should be playing at center back over Abby Dahlkemper. That opens the door for Mewis to play the mm-hmm. sixth, which a lot of people are saying there's not another natural central midfielder that can play that role in the line in the, the team. I disagree. I think there are like four uh, that could play that role. One of them is Sam Mewis, and she should definitely be in the starting lineup. I think that's the best way to get Mewis, Lindsay Horan, and Rose Lavelle all on the field. And I think that's how you play the style the U.S. wants to play. I, I also think if Mewis is starting in that role, um, Ertz loves to go um, hunt the ball as a midfielder. When she plays center back, she's a little more disciplined um, out of necessity. But in the midfield, she wants to be more like Russell Knauss for D.C. rather than staying home. And that has caused some problems. She's caught her teammates by surprise at times um, ball hunting. Yeah, and- when you're alone defensive midfielder that's a lot different than having a partner like Canals right. does in junior moreno and, and and they want the the thing is that's what ellis wants as well like that's that is a feature in her system not a bug um and in the first game there were some moments where they showed um lindsey haran showed some real awareness um a better a, a better knowledge of where Ertz was going before Ertz was going so that she was already dropping in when Ertz was pushing forward um, if they're going to persist with that, then that's crucial. Um, but for me, I would rather see uh, the lineup that I want to see is probably not going to happen because I'm pretty sure, um, for, for Ellis Ertz is the number six and that's the end of the story. Um, doll Kemper is going to start at center back. That's the end of that story. Jill um, might listen to this podcast, Jason. You don't know. I mean, maybe, uh, Jill, Jill Ellis is famously kind of an oddball. She has peacocks, uh, at home. Um, on her property. She's a, so she's a typical where William and Mary person. She could listen to this nerd podcast Arthur, like the nerd she is. Ben, are you saying that maybe she's got a little of a uh, admin uh, in her? Um, yeah, I am. Her? Yes, okay. I am. Um, well, I think I think we've broken new ground. <laughs> so maybe so. I I might be actually saying that all William and Mary people are admin. So, so it's an entire university producing admin. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. My head is I, spinning right now. I, well, how, all right, Ben. How, ben, how does how does William and Mary feel about stealing office supplies? I think we're pretty good about it. Yeah, okay. Because admin loves to yeah. uh, is very strongly in favor of how you should steal office supplies at your job. 
Um, we, we like small crimes that don't really make any difference, but we feel bad about them. Okay. Wait, uh, I didn't know William and Mary was Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I say that as someone who grew up Catholic. Um, uh, but but to, to, to go back to, to Sweden real quick, because I think we never really answered uh, Adam's question. Um, <laughs> what else the, is new? The thing with Sweden is, and I, I, in covering the spirit, I got to talk to Pew and Lavelle before they left. And both of them before, you know, I, I asked, you know, when you look, look around looking for um, other teams that maybe have the same level of uh, hype around them and, and the pressure on them, who are the, who is maybe the team you're most um, expecting to maybe come across as a huge game. And I was expecting them to all say France. Um, because the schedule of the tournament structures so that the U.S. and France will probably end up playing in a quarterfinal, um, which is not a good structure. They shouldn't have done it like that. Um, but both of them, without me ever mentioning Sweden at all, mentioned that within the squad, especially for the players that were in the Olympic team, uh, Sweden is a big deal. Um, it's not – they didn't want to say it's a grudge match or anything, but they did want to say that um, there is a, a lot of focus on – Getting you know, Sweden always plays the U.S. tough. It's always a difficult kind of grind it out kind of game, um, and so I think they all realize that that's a team that might not necessarily. I mean, it's the group stage, so they're not going to eliminate the U.S. by any stretch of the imagination. But um, if all of a sudden Sweden pulls an upset, it changes the the dynamic around the team. It changes do, their attitude. Um, do you think it's a little leftover Pia Suntaga, uh grumpiness? I don't think they're, I don't think it's, it's grumpiness. I would say that they do kind of realize that she knows a lot of their older players better than just about anyone. Um, and thus it's diff, it's more difficult for them to play against a team that has her as coach or has consulted her than it is against just about anyone else. Because on paper, this should not be a difficult, um, game. Um, though, you know, Sunhag is no longer, uh, the head coach there. She's sort of, um, uh, involved, I think. Rather than, yeah. Um, their current coach is a guy named Peter Gerhardson, who I don't know anything about. Um, but uh, it, it's part of it is that, you know, the knowledge that they have of the U.S. team is greater than just about anyone else. Um, also, the fact that athletically, um, physical strength wise, the U.S. can't just push them around in the way that they pushed around Thailand or Chile. Um, it, they are faster, but they are not bigger and stronger. And it's one of the reasons why I was talking about McDonald is that they kind of uh, big and strong their way to some goals in uh, the game against Chile, but you can't really do that against Sweden. Um, but the main thing I think is that they've been doing a lot of testing on how to figure out a bunkering team. And I think a lot of that has to do with beating Sweden because Sweden is going to bunker. That is what they've always done against the U.S. And that's what they're going to do in this game. Um, so they're going to sit deep. They're going to be in their two, uh, two rows of four. Um, and it's going to be on the U S to try and break them down without giving away the counterattack that they did in the Olympics. Um, and I think that's been a major point of emphasis for them. So, um, you know, the Chile game, they sort of did a man city thing, bringing their fullbacks inside. Um, I saw a thing that said that Allie Krieger ended up leading the team in passes completed because even though she was playing right back, she was actually pretty far tucked in. Um, and they sort of, it's, it's kind of an interesting um, team shape in the end because you ended up with a perfect, like a U shape 
like an umbrella. And then in the middle, you have the midfielders and Lloyd sort of all clustered together, combining to try and break their way through. Um, so they tried that against Chile, they, against Thailand. It was a little bit different. They, like I mentioned, they played three, three, four towards the end of the game. Um, when Pew came in for Ertz, that was the three, three, four section of the game. Um, so they're clearly, they clearly have some ideas about trying to figure out a bunkering team. And this is really where they're sort of the first two games are sort of the laboratory. And this is going to be sort of the proving ground where they've actually got to put some of these ideas into practice because they can't just go out there and stumble into some goals, which they kind of could against Thailand and Chile. Well, hopefully we do see some of that intentionality come through. Jason mentioned that that France could be waiting in the quarterfinals if both teams win the group. I've seen some, I've mostly seen reaction to people saying that the U.S. should consider tanking against Sweden to line up a better no. draw in the knockouts, and that's dumb. Uh, and, and not just because of the thing I talked about earlier with Kim McCauley's piece saying the team wants to be locked in and completely dialed in and and going in top gear all the way through the tournament. You, if you tank a game, that obviously ruins that. But beyond that, it's also a bad idea. The U.S. is the top number one ranked team in the world. You don't worry about your draw. You face the team in front of you and you beat them. And and that's what the team wants to do. And I think to win a World Cup, that's the attitude you need to have. Right. That's some that's some bullshit that the US men would pull. That's not some that's not something the US women would pull. I mean it's something we I, I've seen at the Olympics. I remember China had like the top two pairs in the world in badminton or something and they were both trying to a tank to avoid yes. the other one in early in the knockout rounds of the olympics and it was this really bizarre um situation i think at least one of the teams got disqualified as a result because you, you and there's also like if you're a coach and you coach this group of players with the u.s national team and you tell megan rapino and Julie Ertz and Becky Sauerbrunn that they have to take it easy this game because you're trying not to win. You've lost them. You're going to lose their, their, their respect. Yep. And, and it's hard to regain that. This is a team that is, they don't care who you are. They want to beat anybody and they feel like they can beat anyone. They feel like they should beat anyone. Um, and you can't talk to them and tell them, well, you know, Oh, you should strategically try and, uh, um, get out of playing France, you should push it down the road and, and kick the can down the road. They're not wired to do that. Um, these are the kind of people for who that would be an insult. Um, and you can't go in and insult your players with an idea like that. So it, it's a non-starter. I guarantee in the locker room, they haven't thought about it or talked about it. I think someone did ask Jill Ellis, but she was like, yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. It's ridiculous. Um, and that's the end of that. Like, I think that's the, all the attention that anyone involved with them is going to give that because, you know, we've seen it happen so many times that once you start trying to galaxy brain your way through tournaments, you probably are going to end up in some trouble. Um, the U S's job is to try and go win seven games, not to try and, you know, uh, draw a game and think that maybe down the road, it might benefit them. It probably won't. I think this is a team that if they were to, to, to lose or even drawing against Sweden, wouldn't, they wouldn't do anything as far as throwing things. Um, but I think if they were to lose to Sweden, it might have a bigger impact on morale, whether it was an intentional loss or not, um, than otherwise. Like uh, for some other teams that aren't necessarily expecting to storm through a tournament, um, 
losing a game, it's like, well, we thought at some point we might drop one. Um, this team is not wired to do that. They don't drop games. Uh, so yeah, I, I think the idea of throwing something with this group of players is it, it's a non-starter. I completely agree. Um, and, and I think this team has, they obviously have the talent to, to win seven games, not just make it out of the group and, and get through the, the knockout stage. They, they have the ability to win seven games in regulation and, and just cruise through this. Yeah, um, I mean, Fran- but- a, a France quarterfinal in uh, Paris is going to be quite something. That that um, will be, especially when we we saw this this last game, which I, I believe was in Paris as well, and and all the players talked about how it felt like a home crowd for them, mm-hmm. and that won't necessarily which, uh, be the case against France. Featuring our our good friend and sometimes filibuster uh, podcaster Donald Wine, um, mm-hmm. and also and, another and Black and Red United contributor, Blazian says was there as yes, well. Yes, I forgot that he he did make it down for that. Um, mm-hmm. Which it kind of blew my mind finding because I follow him on Instagram and he was in Belgium, which is where he lives. And then two hours later he was in France getting off the train. And I was, it's like, Oh yeah, everything's so close together there. Um, it's like a train ride to Philly. Yeah, exactly. Um, the metaphor I was going to make. Yeah. Um, except, you know, we're not used to anything being close together because our country is big. Um, and I can't wrap my round or head around geography anywhere else. Cause I haven't gone very many places. Um, but yeah, I just want to say to Ben and any other, um, linguistics grammar nerds out there. I recognize that was not a mat- metaphor. So don't don't at me. Oh, no. The only thing I was going to at you about is uh, Richmond is also a two-hour train ride. So you could also come this way instead of going Yeah, to but Philly. you have to wait like eight hours for the next train to Richmond. There's just not You that don't have to trains. wait. You just have to schedule. You just have to go to the train place at the if right time. It's not on my schedule. Train, train, I'm waiting Adam, for go it. to the train place. Adam, just go to the train place at the go, right time. Go to the train. Go to place. the train home. <laughs> what is happening right now? Go to the home Look, of the train. Invoked, I'm getting the share zoned. We invoked uh, weird Twitter to start this podcast, and it's you know it's going to happen at that point. It's like uh, you've let the spirits into the room, and now the ghosts are in charge. Well. Ah, <laughs> can I, before before we finish, I do have to mention that uh, it's been pretty cool to watch uh, some of the former Spirit players as well as the current ones in the this tournament. Um, Franny lovers, Franny lovers, right? Uh, Franny Ortega changed her hairstyle as a surprise to the Franny lovers, which was awesome. Um, uh, Estefania Benini was absolutely brilliant in a game. It's a weird thing where she was brilliant in a game where her being a number 10, uh, her job was not to create chances. It was just to try and, uh, help the Argentine defense have a few minutes where they weren't having to defend. And she was spectacular. Um, which is a weird thing to, to think about for a, a playmaker. Um, Estelle Johnson and Cameroon still have a shot at, uh, advancement. Uh, they have to beat New Zealand and, and, I think the goal difference will become a, a factor at that point. But um, also the fact that when Pew or Lavelle, Pew and Lagarzo scored, um, all of a sudden we have uh, four people that have scored in World Cups that we happen to cover. Um, we went from having Wayne Rooney, who's only just gotten here, to now we have four in like a manner of a matter of like 36 hours or something, which is pretty mind blowing. Um, so that it's it's been it's been pretty cool to see. It's been um, 
the games have mostly been good. Uh, there have only been a few that were not so great. Um, and yeah, I, I think this is a, it's going to be a special knockout round because, you know, the teams that are through are already like the U S we're talking about the France quarterfinal. The last time they played Spain, they only won one, nothing. And I think Spain outpossessed them, which almost never happens to the U S um, and the players after the game were like, yeah, Spain is really good. Like, Spain's problem is they don't really score very often. They keep the ball and they don't really score. But um, the U.S. were were on a to a rare degree impressed by how good uh, Spain was in that game, and that's who is waiting the winner of Group F. So it's not as much as it sounds like the U.S. should win all of these games. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be thirteen um, nothing. The the games are not going to lack for drama from here on out good reason to tune in i guess um we'll be talking about it on black and uh which is where you can you can find us find us on twitter at filibuster dcu at black and red you send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com uh subscribe like review rate i guess is the term not like uh wherever you get your podcasts support us financially if you are so inclined at patreon.com slash filibuster if you really like the weird twitter thing tonight which was only kind of planned after we started the call uh that we record this on uh let us know on patreon and maybe you'll get more weird twitter in the future I don't know. Uh, I just work here. Mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. That's the the best way to spread the word is to literally spread the word. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Blocked, blocked, blocked. You're all blocked. None of you are free of sin. <laughs> <laughs>